Welcome, everybody, to the Apex Sunday podcast. We're hosted by two petrol heads, myself, John Dowsett, and Rob Ross. And this is the podcast that banters and rambles on about Formula One races, news, and events. John, the Red Bull Ring is a very short circuit with pull just over 63 seconds for a complete lap. When you were racing, did you prefer racing on short, high-speed circuits or long circuits, or did you even have that kind of variety in your time? I didn't. I didn't have that variety. Right. I, I liked this short mm-hmm. track because, it. yes, people got lapped more than, than usual, but it, it, there's always something going on. Right. Yeah. Definitely in terms of lapping, it was rather large. We had Mazepin and Latifi were lapped three times. And then we had Mick was lapped twice. And then Antonio Giovinazzi up to Lando Norris in fourth was lapped once. So it definitely shows it's a great circuit. I really like it because there's no super slow corners, maybe corner one to an extent. But other than that, and maybe corner three, they have to break a fair amount. Other than that, it's quite flowing and quite fast. But, you know, the drawback is that we're going to have lots of people lapped in this. And passing opportunities. The, the, the track, unlike most tracks today, people can actually pass, which is nice to see. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And nice and wide, lots of elevation change. The only thing that bothers me is you, you really don't see the elevation change on television. Not particularly, do you? Because I was thinking about that as well. I really like the short circuit, the fast corners, but I also like elevation changes. When I thought about it, it's like, well, there's not, oh wait, there is elevation changes in this circuit. It's just not particularly obvious. So, And for me, uphill corners mm-hmm. are a cakewalk and downhill corners are the ones that are going to give you trouble. Right. And there's some really nice downhill corners on this one. Yeah, that whole last sequence, right? Oh man, yeah. Like it's just beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's very good. Let's talk about qualifying. It was up and down, wasn't it? It was it was looking like there were gonna be some some changes. Mm-hmm. Latifi was a bit of a surprise, right? In Q1, he sort of threw a wrench into the proceedings because he was up in eighth. But ultimately, he missed out of Q2 by eight, eight one-hundredths. And his teammate, Russell, missed Q3 by eight one-thousandths. <laughs> so there's a little bit of symmetry there. Crazy. But it forced others to use more tires than they wanted to. And of course, you know, Russell did eventually outqualify Latifi. And Ricardo just made it into Q2. The other thing is Ocon. He's having some trouble after his promising start. He had sort of that, I've just signed a factory team contract for three years. Now I'm going to not deliver anymore. <laughs> so he's drifting back a little bit. So we'll have to see how that, that pulls out throughout the rest of the season. What did you think of Ocon? Um, yeah, it surprised me. You know, mm-hmm. And how much of that has to do with Alonso? Because mm-hmm. Alonso is definitely going to have some guidance on setup of the car and development of the car. I don't know how much development they're doing, but Alonso has a history of not being very nice to teammates. <laughs> no. And he's improving as Ocon is not improving or not staying consistent at the time. Possibly the car is being developed for him. And, and the other surprise for me was Danny Ricardo because Danny in free practice was showing real speed mm-hmm. and real speed. And I was thinking, oh my God, finally Danny's got yes. it. And then I don't know what happened in the race. I didn't hear anything about what happened in the race, but. Yeah, he just qualified 14th, which 
and qualifying. I mean, yes, yes. Compared to his, yeah, compared to his teammate, though, way, 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 way back, because Lando qualified fourth, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's quite a contrast. And of course, he does have experience with McLaren's type of car, but yeah, it's seven or eight races in, and Danny's still struggling. So that's a bit of a surprise. You saw the Alpha Tories get into Q3. The Honda engine and the aerodynamics of both Red Bull teams look well suited for this kind of circuit. And again, like I said, Norris qualifying fourth. He starts third because of Bottas's penalty. Gasly sixth. That's just amazing as well. Poor lap for Lewis, but he gets on the front row anyways because of Bottas's penalty. And I thought that would be a good opportunity for him to make a great start, but that didn't happen. And we had Johnny Herbert in the post-qualifying interviews, and he must have went to complete sentence school because <laughs> for once it wasn't all word salad. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts about qualifying? Not really. I, I, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, there was some drama, which was good, and, and some surprises. Yes. Yeah. The, the Alpha Tories in particular and... Because we've seen Sunada suffer recently in qualifying, but he did well this time. And Bahas. It was nice seeing Bahas where he got to Should the top be. of the chart, near the top of the charts. One down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the race then. Perfect. The race obviously started with a bit of a mess up with Leclerc and Gasly, which also bled over to Latifi and, Latifi and Giovinazzi. That did let Leclerc, though, make quite a good comeback, didn't it? From his wing incident with Gasly, the puncture, and then Leclerc having to pit at the first lap and then come back to seventh. It gave me what my favorite thing in car racing is. I love watching these great drivers come from the back and just hammer through the field. Right. It's got to feel wonderful. Right. <laughs> so you should be looking forward to the sprint race in Great Britain in a couple of weeks to see how that all Absolutely. works out. Yeah, me too. We see some cars go well at circuits. Like, for instance, Force India used to do very well at Spa, I think even finishing on the podium. So we saw a little bit, that's this kind of circuit has that kind of thing where we saw, of course, Red Bull and Mercedes way ahead of everyone else, but the midfield was definitely mixed up a little bit compared to the other races. I'm not hearing the banter that I used to hear about downforce. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons Danny was getting up front uh, and doing so well in past years is because he likes a low downforce car. Which the Red Bull is traditionally a low downforce car, right? Yes. And so he, would, he moved teams and went to a low downforce car and would routinely be ahead of his teammate. Mm -hmm. What's happening here? But now, I mean, he had that... He had that power loss in the race, so the race is a write-off for him because he was up to 8th from 14th, so he did a good start, but then he dropped down, or I guess he started 13th maybe because of penalties, but anyways, he had that power loss, and then after that, he was a no factor. The start, the, the event mm -hmm. at the start, what was your take on that? I think it's your standard sort of so many cars pushed up against each other in the first corner. It is the tightest corner on the circuit, I think, or maybe turn three. Kind of inevitable, I guess, to an extent. It's just, it seemed rather easy. Like, there were little little touches and caused a hell of a lot of problems for a lot of, of drivers. Mm -hmm. How much of contact did you have when you were racing? Because you you're racing sedans, not open wheel. So 
does that encourage more contact? <laughs> not in GT racing. No? No, not in GT racing at all. Uh, some bump drafting up back straights. Mm. But that's about it. I mean, I, I had a, a Camaro think that he could take me on the inside of corner three at most board. And of course, there wasn't a chance in hell. And so he ended up sliding into me. He thought he could go in as fast as I did, and he couldn't. Right. <laughs> and then I had a, a Fiero punt me in corner five and roll me. But those are the only two con real contacts I had. I think the other contacts of, of bump drafting up the back straight or something that you kind of want. Mm. Right. <laughs> I guess the other big story about the race is this is the fourth consecutive victory for Red Bull and Honda. They must be, Honda in particular, they've had such a terrible re-entry basically, you know, not very good with, with McLaren. McLaren blamed Honda. I think it was a, a combination of both McLaren and Honda with that Concept Zero making the engine too hot for Honda. But, you know, they're doing so well now, and next year it'll be a Red Bull engine and not a Honda, <laughs> yeah. even though it is a Honda. It's interesting. I said to you once that Honda doesn't really need Formula One to sell cars, but there is a reason for going into F1. And what do you think of Honda pulling out just as they're succeeding? I don't think... You're probably regretting it. Yeah. Do you think there's probably no chance of changing their minds after all that's happened? It could also be a major shift for Honda. I mean, this is outside of the world of Formula One, but there's, there's such a shakeup right now in the auto industry with EVs and mm -hmm. alternate fuels, yes. Toyota with their hydrogen car, and where are they going? Do you want to try and catch up to Tesla mm -hmm. with EVs, or can that really work? And so there must be so much nonsense going on at, at the upper level of these companies that I can understand where they're looking at spending hundreds of millions of dollars, at least. Yeah. They're not in Formula E, though. The E strategy will be very interesting to see how the various companies tackle that, because Mercedes is pretty strongly into Formula E, but Honda is nowhere. Even in bike racing, none of the major manufacturers have electric bikes. They're all independent electric bikes. So it's... It's going to take a while. It'll be by the time we uh, meet our maker, as they say, in 20 or 30 years, hopefully, <laughs> it'll still be a mix of combustion and electric and you know, all of the infrastructure and all that. But yeah, they must be regretting pulling out just as they're becoming very, very successful and getting a lot of press. Yeah, too bad. I think those days of being in Formula One to develop technologies for manufacturers is gone. Mm -hmm. It once that held a little bit of weight, but I think that's gone. And I, that translates into Formula E, I think. And you could also add to the fact that how many people do you know that watch Formula E? Yeah, zero. And how prevalent is it? All my petrol head friends, shouldn't say that, all of my racing friends, none of them have ever even brought up Formula E. Yes. And you've taken a look at it, right? I took a quick look at it. Uh, if, if there was an easy feed for me to watch it, then I'd probably be watching it. Yeah. Because it looks interesting. Mm -hmm. But I don't watch much other racing other than sports car racing. Right. Yeah, when I watched it, it was it, the circuits. I didn't care for the circuits. They were very, very tight. It was all street circuits and not my favorite, that's for sure. But again, it's an evolving series. I think they're in their second generation of cars, so they don't have to switch batteries or switch cars anymore. And then there's a third generation coming soon. So it's definitely a more research-focused, at least obviously, to 
how they set it up so that it's like, well, we're, we're going to take steps. We're going to take a few years of this formula. We're going to improve it, improve it. So, you know, it's definitely something that interests some companies, but I haven't seen Honda in there at all or in any kind of electric racing. Or... I think they can prove it themselves. They, they, they can use their test track right. and take their electric cars and test them without going into Formula E. And I'm not so sure how much Formula E provides in the way of R&D for manufacturers. There's got to be some. Well, the battery technology, I think, is the primary R&D. But, you know, is that type of battery, can that be adapted to a, a regular road car and, you know, that kind of thing? So something to look up for for the future. I did enjoy the uh, Sunada-Alonso rivalry. They seem to be racing each other here and there throughout the, throughout the races. So that was pretty cool. And the coverage, I would say, was pretty good. The battles at the edge of the points were shown, and they weren't shown at all in the stack for a change. So, so that was good. I guess the biggest question is, will Max whip their asses again in the race coming up? Because he totally destroyed Hamilton, didn't he? I think it was a 15-second gap seconds. at the end. Oh, no. Well, 35, but that's because Hamilton pitted for the fastest lap. Right. But before that, it was about 15 seconds. And that's a, quite a significant margin over Mercedes on this circuit. What's your take on Perez? Well, where did he finish? He finished fourth, fourth 47 seconds. So I found the commentators thinking that Perez could get Bottas. I didn't really believe that was going to be the case. I mean, towards the very end, he got pretty close. But you know, other than that, I don't know. It was under a second. He was under a second. Yeah. And I have a funny feeling that Perez is managing the car. Mm -hmm. I, I know Max is. I know Max has got just a bag load of speed and, and is probably driving 15%, 20% below where he, he can just to manage tires and, and manage fuel and, mm -hmm. and stay on the track. Perez is probably managing his money because he's got big sponsors. He does. Yes. But he's delivering, right? He's doing what they wanted him to do, which was... Get points. Sure, he didn't beat Hamilton or Bottas this race, but he has in other races, and he, became, he came pretty close. So he's doing exactly what they need them to do. So I think that'll be a partnership that goes on through next season as well. I don't think that Perez could ever beat Max, just like I don't think Bottas could ever beat Lewis, the exact same car. Do you think you don't think they could beat them man-to-man -man if you were to take these two guys and put them in a world sports car and do you think that lewis is that much better driver than val don't or? know really because as soon as you change the formula like you see certain drivers i think kimmy tried rallying i know valentino rossi from moto gp is called tried rallying granted rallying is a very 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 different discipline than road racing obviously but you know you still need reaction times and braking properly and all that kind of thing. So I don't know, maybe Valtteri would be better at different types of racing than Formula One. He could be a great sports car racer and he may well end up in sports cars, right? I, I was talking to Ken Slater and Ken Slater said that quite clearly Lewis Hamilton is the greatest race car driver who's ever lived. Oh really? He's, he thinks he's the goat. Wow. Yes. Yes. As I've said before, I don't think you can go there. Yeah, there is no goat, right? <laughs> it's just a different world, you know. Yes, he's the he's the best of his time. Michael Schumacher was the best of his best of his time. Ayrton Senna was the best at, mm -hmm. at his time. Sterling Moss. We can go through Jim Clark. We can go back to the early days. Yep. Is there any 
driver that you've ever thought, wow, this guy really is the best? Because I do, I have one in sports cars. Fellows is one of them, yeah. Oh, yeah? He's retired now, though, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He's retired. Yeah. A god behind behind the wheel. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the greatest Canadian driver who's ever lived. I think I'd I'd rank him above Gilles Villeneuve. Oh, really? Wow. But he's just too big. I mean, he's a tall, big, tall man, and he doesn't fit in an open wheeler. Probably They probably would today, because look at Ocon. I mean, Ocon's a big boy, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for me, I'd say Mark Marquez from MotoGP comes close to, like, how can anyone be this good kind of type of guy? So, yeah, it's at the same time, though, I would say that another rider could come along just as good as him any any time now or 20 years from now. So that's the problem with greatest of all time. It's we don't live in all time, <laughs> right? And there's always people coming along and the movement of racing drivers, I think in all the disciplines has been more professional, more focused. You know, it's more of a, I hate to say it, a job, but you have more obligations and so forth nowadays. Yeah, a profession. Yeah. And they they race very, very young and they get exposed to a championship situation from a young age. So they're very much better prepared than they were in the past too. So that's got to help you be very, very good as well. In my lifetime of being a petrol head, mm-hmm. I watched the change. Yes. There was James Hunt smoking cigarettes yes. and swearing and the Graham Hill part, famous Graham Hill era parties Mm -hmm. with McLaren and other boys. And I think it was probably in my 20s when that all changed and sponsorship took full hold and sponsors expected the drivers to go to media training so they knew how to deal with the press. Yes. That's when we started hearing the word we all the time. And and we got so overused, it was just ridiculous because... Mm -hmm. When, when, no, you were driving the car. You can say when I passed, but no, it, yeah. they would say, no, when we passed, Ari Leyendijk. And the- yes. <laughs> yeah, like a guy like Kimmy is probably not a marketer's dream, right? Because he doesn't speak much. He doesn't present himself very well and all that kind of thing. I mean, I think he's great. I think Kimmy's, mm-hmm. you know, the anti-marketing type of driver in a way, right? So, but yeah, Mark in uh, MotoGP, he's very good with the media as well. So he had it all and he learned to speak English very early. These are savvy guys who understand all the, like, it's not just show up and race and you do more. There's a hell of a lot of things you have to do to be successful. Now, having said that, when you're being paid 20 million a year, you're willing to do a lot of work, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. John, who would be your driver of the race? This is the toughest one yet to pick. Me too. You can say Chaz Leclerc for his hammering through the field. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a a toss-up between uh, Yuki Tsunoda Mm -hmm. and the very unspectacular Lando. Yep, Lando's mine. It was a brief sort of struggle between Leclerc and Lando, but when I looked at the overall weekend, Leclerc did well, but he also didn't do well initially, <laughs> so there's that. But Lando just, he's maximizing, he's, he's behind the top four drivers in the top two teams, and he's just getting the most out of that car, and I think... Consistently. Yes. He's just 
really, really impressing me. And so is Russell as well. I mean, he got very close to Q2 and he may have scored points. I think that's a bit optimistic if he didn't have his, his problems in the race. I think it was hydraulics, but you know, he, he's very, very promising for the future as well. In terms of rating the race, I'm going to give it a six. I enjoyed some of the off the front passing and so forth, but it wasn't, you know, a classic race or anything. I think a real good race, I'm going to start at seven. This is just below a really good race, but I didn't mind it at all. So it gets a six for me. What about you? I have to go with a seven. Yeah. Possibly even an eight for this race. And only because, only because we got to see lots of passing. Yeah. That's what really stokes me. Setting up a Mm -hmm. pass and it's not easy to do with these cars. And if you saw the turbulence when cars passed each other, it's got to be frightening as hell. You know, all of a sudden your front end washes out. Yes. It's... And yeah, so I, I really, really enjoyed that. And I like the coverage of the entire field, you know, showing yes. Seb when he's way back or showing Kimmy mm-hmm. just driving brilliantly. And once again, Kimmy did the lousy qualifying and brilliant race. Now, one more thing I'd like to say. Last podcast I mentioned Mercedes might be letting down Lewis that came out wrong obviously this is a very great team have had so much success but I saw an interview with a crew chief from MotoGP for Suzuki who had just won the world title and previous to that he was with a smaller team with a two-year-old bike and he would say that when we triumphed on the two-year-old bike we got good results it was amazing when we didn't well we have a two-year-old bike so who cares once he got into Suzuki, he basically said that the pressure was far, far, like it was increased, obviously, and that risk-taking reduces as soon as you have a lot of pressure. So perhaps Mercedes is more risk-averse under this kind of pressure. What do you think? Maybe they're just not used to this kind of pressure, and do we do this, do we do that? So they're a little bit indecisive, and that's just natural because of the pressure? That's an interesting take on it, but I question how Mercedes is developing their car. They had the pinnacle, and they rode that, and they they kept developing it. Yes, but right. But they had a base that was definitely the fastest car. Now they don't. Now they're on their back foot. Yeah, seven years of total success until now. And I don't think the car is capable of keeping up with Adrian New. What Adrian Newey has done with uh, Red Bull. Mm-hmm. You have to question what Red Bull did to their car. Yeah. How did Red Bull change their car and how did they take their money that they were allowed to spend and how did they spend it? Yeah. And I don't know that. It's just so strange that the first few races, they were much closer together with Lewis winning more often than Max. And, you know, since four races ago, it's just been all Red Bull. Right. All right. So should we move on to the news? Yes. All right. Well, I've seen that Mazepin is convinced his car is heavier than Mix, and that's why he hasn't beaten him yet. So watch out for the lighter car. We'll see if that happens. And also Mick has apparently been sitting in a tilted seat the whole season, so they have to fix his seat a little bit. So it hasn't been a problem, but yeah. Really? <laughs> hasn't been proper. But I guess the biggest news for me is Porsche and Audi are joining the engine talks on July 3rd. In Austria. Whoa. 
they're thinking of dropping the MGUH and just using the MGUK. So one's kinetic, one's for the heat. And they want to simplify the engine and also make standard parts to reduce the costs so that they're not manufacturing all their own parts. They're going to be joined by Daimler, Renault, and Red Bull, Mercedes, representatives from the FIA, and so forth. The only thing that is absolutely definite is they're supposed to have a carbon neutral fuel by 2025. So it'll still be fuel based, but it'll be a cleaner fuel. And then Porsche, Audi, quote, that's just basically the Volkswagen group, right? I guess they'll decide if they want to, to enter, but we've already mentioned Williams being connected with Volkswagen, ex-Volkswagen employees. So they're definitely interested. We'll see where that goes. And Austin Martin signs Red Bull's head of aerodynamics, Dan Fallows, but he's going to be their <laughs> technical director. So he's not heading the aero department directly. He's becoming the, the technical director for the team. They've also poached someone else. I can't remember who, but I think he was in aerodynamics as well. But regardless, you know, all the teams are poaching from each other and preparing for the next formula, I suppose. Brilliant. I love this stuff. I, mm -hmm. I, when I read the Nui book, there was a statement of, of him changing teams and what he changed teams and Mercedes wanted him. Mm -hmm. And he was just saying, why would I go? You know, if I if I go to another team, I want to go to a team that right. is nothing so I can develop it and, and put it at the front again. Because that's what he's done with all of them, right? Right. Yeah, it's true. So I can see how, how there would be a shift if you're at Red Bull and you've got the fastest car to have the opportunity to go to a, a lesser team and, and make them a little bit better. Yes. That would... Lesser but well-financed too, right? They look like they have a good future. They've got... Better finance them when they were Force India. Yeah. All right. Well, next race is the exact same venue. So I guess the interesting thing will be if Mercedes can find a setup that will make them perform better. And I'm interested to see how Lando and Danny do because they've got a lot of data from the first race. Let's see if they can adjust. All right. So until the next race, we'll talk to you then. Thank All right, you, Rob. Bye, John. Bye.